Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, a legal assistant at SATC Law, and I am comfortable and at home and safe and recording remotely with our guest today. We are recording this under the current stay-at-home order here in Chicago, Illinois, so we are adhering to the governor uh, and our mayor's requests that we stay at home and stay safe, and so I'm happy that our guest today was able to join us uh, remotely. So today we have with us Matt Lindner, who is the Uh, content marketing manager for Rakuten Advertising. He is in that position and has been for some time, uh, not a long time, but uh, he has certainly taken quite a trip to get there. And so we're excited to hear about your journey, Matt, and uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me, Nathan. And uh, yeah, to your point, it it, it has been uh, been quite the journey to get here. So... (laughs) We love hearing journey stories, so I'm excited <laughs> to, to get a chance to hear about the, about what you've done and where you've been. Um, Matt is a good friend of uh, of Bridging Chicago. We actually were able to have his fiance Sarah Spunt on. She is with Lyft Chicago, and she and Sal came on and just gave a really good podcast. And so, if you haven't had a chance to hear that. Uh, I would suggest that you go back and listen to the Lift Chicago podcast episode as well. Um, but Matt, I know that um, we met through Sarah, but have become good friends. And so uh, it's been really interesting to hear your story, and I'm glad that you're getting to share it with our listeners. But let's start with talking about your, your growing up, because I think that you know, regardless of whether we stay where we're at or we move to all different places, our, our childhood mm-hmm. so often affects, you know, where we go from there. So tell me about growing up for you. Yeah, you know, I had a real stable childhood. I, I grew up in, uh, in Lake Zurich, Illinois, so about 45 minutes north uh, of Chicago. My, my parents were married up until my mom passed away back in uh, 2014. Um, you know, I didn't really look to my parents for career guidance, and that wasn't because they weren't successful or, or happy in their careers. You know, my dad was a human resources executive at Allstate for about thirty years. My mom was a uh, was a beloved secretary at an elementary school in in Lake Zurich. Uh, I kind of wanted to just blaze my own path, and I was determined to do that from uh, from the get go. Um, you know, my my middle sister has the same job that she got out of college. Uh, my my younger my youngest sister has uh, you know she she's changed jobs a couple times but uh, she's she's been fairly consistent in terms of her career whereas I have not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly I'm really excited because uh, you've had some really cool jobs, especially mm-hmm. one that we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah. did you sense? I I know that you said you sensed it, but. 
did other people in your youth sense that you're kind of this different kind of like you you want to make your own path you want to like just try different things and maybe they stick maybe they don't but but were other people able to see that about you when you're growing up like oh Matt's you know kind of in his own doing his own thing over there yeah so growing up I I then as now I had a, a ton of energy and I wanted to get my hands on, on everything I could you know in, in middle school and in high school and then uh, in college, when I was getting my bachelor's degree at Purdue, I made it a point to uh, to get involved in as many things as I possibly could. In, in high school, I played four sports and was the uh, the stat guy for the varsity basketball team. Uh, in college, I was involved with, uh, I think, 10 or 11 different student organizations. I was an editor on the school newspaper. I was a tour guide. I was a freshman orientation leader. I was involved in the psychology club. So, you know, my interests have always kind of spanned the gamut. Um, I don't like being bored. My absolute worst nightmare is, is actually this pandemic and working at home and, and just staring at the same four walls all day. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're staying safe, but you know, it's um, it for, for somebody like me who has, um, who prefers to be active. It's, it's been, it's been rough. <laughs> yeah. I can definitely attest to that. Um, though we are glad you're staying safe and, and healthy. Um, so, one of the things that I always find really interesting is hearing about people when they decide to go to college, like how they decide to go to college, where they decide, what yeah. they decide to study. And so tell me yeah. about making that decision to go to Purdue. I mean, you know, it's such a important decision at such a young age. So tell me a little bit about how you made that decision and then um, what Purdue was like for you. Yeah, I, I admittedly, coming out of high school, uh, didn't have any ideas to what I wanted to do with my life. And, and I went to Purdue um, in part because it was the best school I got into and in part because uh, I didn't want to be too far away from home. I did get into the University of Missouri, which is about a six or seven hour drive from Lake Zurich. And I kind of had an inkling that I wanted to go into journalism, but I wasn't totally sure. So I went to Purdue where I started off majoring in, in, in pre-law and general studies, I thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer. I, I'd like arguing, uh, as you know, <laughs> and, you know, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I went to a school that's known for engineering and pharmacy and, and earned a psychology degree. So, you know, my, my interests, um, in college kind of got the best of me to, to where I, I was so involved in campus that I did neglect my books. I, you know, like I was 17 when I started college. I, I started kindergarten early and as, as such, I graduated early. And so, um, you know, but I don't think any 17, 18 year old really has a, a true grasp as, as to what they want to be when they grow up. I mean, heck, I, I don't know many 37 year olds who have a true grasp as to what they want to be when they grow up. So, yeah, I got to Purdue and I was like a kid in a candy store, right? Because it was it was me and, and all these other super ambitious people. Like I'm surrounded by by just all this energy that just wasn't necessarily there in, in high school. And I had all these opportunities to, you know, get involved on campus and, and join a fraternity and uh, really learn about the the history of the school. And, and that's that's why I thought Purdue was such a great fit for me because. It did have so many opportunities, and, and while it was a big school, the campus is is fairly small, so you really do have a chance to network with and, and get to know a lot of other people. It does feel like the like a very small campus. Yeah, 
what, what was something maybe that surprised yourself about yourself when you were an undergrad? Like maybe being like, oh, I didn't know that was in my character. I didn't know I would enjoy that. Uh, some of those things, because I think one of the important things uh, for people to do when they're an undergrad is just to try a lot of new things, go out, like you were saying, go out and look at frats or look at different clubs or programs. And so what was something that you either did or something that you learned about yourself that you that surprised yourself? Yeah, you know, I, I was really surprised at how how much I enjoyed being a, an orientation leader and a, a tour guide at Purdue. You know, my, my freshman year at Purdue, I, I like a, a lot of other college kids, got kind of homesick and I thought about transferring. Um, but then, you know, I, I made the decision like, hey, I'm here. I'm going to, to, to just dive in head first, you know. And so I decided to become a freshman orientation leader my, my sophomore year, A, to learn a little bit more about Purdue and, and B, to, to help others have a, a great first year, make them feel more comfortable on a Big Ten campus. And, you know, I, I found that I was, I was good at, at educating uh, incoming students and getting them excited about their, uh, about their college experience. Uh, you know, I made a point of learning about Purdue's history, you know, all the astronauts that we've had, Orville Redenbacher and how he was in a fraternity at Purdue, the whole nine yards. So, and that, that too was, was where I really figured out that I, I enjoyed being, it, not, not necessarily in spotlight, but, you know, being in front of groups and, and, and talking to complete strangers and, and you know, staying active and, and doing something different on a daily basis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, college is such a great place to do all those things. Um, yeah. But as you're kind of coming to a close in that part of your life, what what were those things where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to start going out into the world. What were some things that maybe scared you about that? And then how were you able to say, all right, well, I've got to do it. So, you know, who did you turn to for some, some advice and how did that go coming out? Yeah, Nathan, it's a real humbling thing when you get to uh, your senior year of college and you have, re you realize you have no idea what you're doing, doing with your life. And yeah. You know, heading into my senior year, I was about to finish up a psychology degree with three minors. I was, uh, I'd actually started on my uh, master's degree in psychology. I was taking a couple of 500, 600 level courses because, you know, I thought I wanted to go to graduate school and, um, and become a psychiatrist, right? I wanted to be uh, a shrink, you know, the, the, the couch and listening to people's problems the whole nine yards. And mm -hmm. my, my career turning point, actually, oddly enough, so I was doing research with a couple of graduate assistants. I was or with a, with a couple of graduate students, I was assisting them on their uh, their master's degree research or the PhD research project, and you know we we had a quiet moment in the lab, and one of them was like, you know, you really sound like the one eight hundred movie phone guy, right? You remember that whole thank you for calling one eight hundred movie phone. You should really give broadcasting a shot, and uh -huh. you know, I was a twenty one year old kid with I, I hadn't started applying to psychology graduate programs yet. And it was like an epiphany for me, Nathan. I was like, you know what? I'm 21. I have nowhere to be until I'm 30. 30 was my definition of old age. Why don't I get broadcasting a shot? And so, uh, and it sounds weird that, you know, somebody telling you that one of your personal characteristics reminds them of, of some pop culture phenomenon sparks a change in, in your life direction. But that was really it. And so I applied to a bunch of uh, a bunch of different schools. I applied to 
Syracuse, Northwestern, Missouri, and a bunch of prominent journalism schools. And I got into exactly one journalism school for, for broadcasting. <laughs> so, uh, and that was the University of Miami. You know, people ask me why I went to Miami. I'd love to say it's because of the palm trees, because of the campus experience, because I, I grew up a Canes fan. None of that is true. It was the only school <laughs> I got into. <laughs> Sometimes life has a way of making decisions for you. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you what, going from Purdue, you know, which is in central Indiana, to, to Miami, my God, what a culture shock that was. No, I'm sure. So... Um, you go from being surrounded by, by kids who are largely from the Chicago area and, and rural Indiana to, uh, you know, it, Miami was, was like a country club with, with classes. You know, we had, a we had an outdoor pool and a, with a high dive in student union. We had a Starbucks in the, the student library, which was a novelty back then. And, and then, you know, you have, you have all the traffics of South Beach, just a 20 minute drive off campus. I was just blown away coming from central Indiana where like a trip to Walmart at 2 a.m. was a big deal. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, it's interesting that you had such like a, I mean, it's kind of like a crazy way to come about, you know, trying to figure out where you're going to go. You're applying to all these things. It's like there's a lot of anxiety and all that. And then it's just like, okay, yeah. well, I'm going here because they're the only ones who said they want me. So, uh, yeah, I mean, with let's use your psychology degree a little bit here and tell me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with with thinking and feeling those things during that time, how was your how were you doing? How was your like? I don't want to say your psyche, but but how is your thought process, and and just how are you feeling about being successful in life, or, or like what you could do at that time? Uh, I mean, when you're when you're 21 years old, the the world is is yours for the taking, right? You you could do whatever you want. Life hasn't beaten you down mentally yet. You know, if, if you've failed, it hasn't been on a on a grand scale. And you know, coming from the the upper middle class household that I did, if I did fail, you know, I had that safety net in the form of my parents, which, which makes me sound incredibly spoiled, but you know, I, I, I knew I had nothing to lose. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I also am well aware of the fact that I in, in enjoyed a, a fairly privileged upbringing. You know, my, uh, in between the, in, in the summer between my junior and senior year of, uh, college, I was able to take an unpaid internship in the Milwaukee Brewers media relations department. What I had done, that second semester of my junior year was I had sent physical letters you know, through, through the USPS um, to all 30 major league baseball teams, about a dozen minor league baseball teams. And, you know, I, I was determined to, to get an internship in, in sports, despite the fact that I had taken no sports marketing classes in any capacity. You know, I, I just, I wanted to work for a professional sports team. And so I uh, got a couple interviews, um, and you know the Brewers, for whatever reason, hired me and and four other or five other people out of a field of about 500 candidates for this unpaid summer internship, and it turned out to be the biggest break of my career. So uh, you know, without that, none of the cool stuff that that happened to me in my career happens later on. I'm probably talking to you about a career selling insurance, which there's nothing wrong with selling insurance. I think you know it's a great career, but. You know, when you, when you look back at some of the things I've done, you know, from uh, getting blasted with champagne on the field at Wrigley after the Cubs won the division series in 2015 to 
interviewing Dennis Rodman, uh, going one-on-one with governors of three different states. You know, it's, it, it, it's a long and winding road from, from that to, from then to now. But part of the reason why I was able to, to do that, to navigate that is because I kept an open mind, right? I didn't, I didn't have a specific career path in mind. I just wanted to do stuff that I enjoyed doing and get paid for it, hopefully. And so that's something that you would encourage uh, people to do at that time is just to keep an open mind and be open to the opportunities that kind of present themselves. Yeah, you know, be a squeaky wheel is, is the best advice that I could give to any high school and, and college student and, and young professional. Because, you know, when, you, when you're early in your career, you don't have the kind of risks and the kind of responsibilities, that, as you know, uh, once you hit your your early to, to mid thirties or, or your late thirties, like I'm in right now, you know when you're when you're in your twenties, everybody expects you to to be green and to to not necessarily be completely set in what you're doing. You can you can change careers, and so what I encourage all high, all high school and all college students to do is you know a take as many classes as you can because you know what you're interested in and what you're good at might ultimately surprise you. And B, you know, intern it, intern everywhere that will have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was in college, um, you know, after our, after I interned for the Brewers, I actually wrote to an arena football team, the arena football team in Indiana, which no longer or in Indianapolis, which no longer exists, the Indiana Firebirds. And so again, I, I was in a privileged position to where I could take on an unpaid internship. So I took on an unpaid, unpaid internship in their PR department, got more experience working game days. Uh, writing press releases, game notes, interviewing players. Um, you know, that's that's really where I got some of my earliest uh, writing experience that helped me later on in my career. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a minute about failure because with all these successes, I'm sure comes a fair amount of failure as well. Yeah, and yeah. I know sometimes people can be like, oh, that's great. Like, you were able to do all these things and it worked out. That's great for you. But I've tried to do, you know, these other things and they haven't worked out or, you know, I tried them and they, they, I failed at them. And so, right. You know, I, I think it'd be good for people to hear about some of the things that um, either you tried that didn't work or, or what it was like for you when failure came along and you had to kind of stare that in the face and, and how you address that. Yeah, you know, and, and accepting failure is, is, is tough. And you know, I, I look back on, on my television career, you know, I, I, I got, I've, I've been fired before. And it's, it's unfortunate. It's a, a, a cold, wet smack in the face. And, you know, it stinks. You know, I, I don't think anybody ever wants to be told that, that their work output is, is not good enough. But I, I remember especially early on in my career, I thought that I knew everything about everything. And I had this attitude about me that, um, you know, I wasn't going to take advice from, from people who came before me and boy, did I get put in my place real quick. Yeah. That that's one of the follies of your twenties is that you have all these interests, but you also think that, uh, you know, everything. And so getting humbled, getting smacked down and, and getting told, you know, Hey, Thanks, but no thanks is probably the best thing that can happen to you early on in your career, right? You, you can't fear rejection because, you know, rejection stings and, you know, getting fired is, is not a fun experience, but you you learn from it. You know, you, you, you learn from, you know, the fact that, hey, that, that career wasn't right for me. 
I mean, sometimes when it happens to you too, it's, it's a blessing, right? Cause you wind up, you ultimately wind up in a better place. You know, you learn what you're good at. You learn what you're not good at. And then you reflect on what you were, were good at and see where that translate el- translates elsewhere in the workplace. It's a really good thought. Um, you know, just taking that time to reflect and actually learn from mm-hmm. those. I think we've all heard that, that, uh, Failure is only failure if you don't learn anything about it. And so that's, that's really good thought. So thanks on for that. Yeah. Um, tell me about your time with the Brewers. Cause I think that's just the most fun <laughs> thing to hear about. And so I, I, w- I would love for people to hear about your time with the Brewers and what that was like. Yeah. You know, I, I, I tell you what, I was born and raised a Cubs fan, but I will forever be loyal to the Brewers for, um, you know, what, what they've done for me and, and the things that I was able to experience with them. So I started off with them as a media relations intern in May of 2003. And the brewers back then were, were not very good. You know, we were struggling to draw maybe 10,000 fans a night to, to weekday games. And unless it was the Cubs or a bobblehead night giveaway, it was, it was hard getting people's attention. And so you, know, you learn a lot about, about being creative um, you know, when it comes to uh, generating interest among fans and the media. Um, but, you know, the reality is I, I was getting to the ballpark about four hours before the game to type up the game notes. And so I was, I, I'd be responsible for writing up the minor league game notes, faxing them to local television stations uh, across the country and around the city. Um, but the thing with the Brewers, since they were such a, they were a small market operation back then. And, and I, I had bosses, um, who were willing to, or who empowered me to, to write much, to write often. And, and they encouraged me to, to pitch them story ideas. And so I got to, to do things like interview uh, minor leaguers as they were coming up, former brewers for the alumni, or for, for the website, and actually get some clips published. So, you know, that summer was, the, was by far and away the best summer of my life. So, you know, after I graduated from Purdue in 2004, though, I, I had I needed a summer job. And so I wrote my old boss, uh, John Greenberg, who's now the president of the Milwaukee Admirals, the AHL affiliate of the National Predators up there. I was like, yeah, hey, John, I, I, I'm looking for a, a paying job over the summer. You know, it's anything up there that I can that I can do. He's like, well, do you want to be a racing sausage? I was like, do I want to be a racing sausage? <laughs> Absolutely. So for, for two summers after, so for, for two summers, 2004, 2005, I was on the Brewers game day entertainment staff, which uh, included being one of the, uh, one of the world famous racing sausages. And that was an absolute trip. You know, being a professional mascot is is something that (laughs) growing up, I I never dreamed about doing. Mm -hmm. And, and it was just, it was such an incredible experience. You know, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling of, of putting on the costume and then, you know, the gate opens up, I think it's in the sixth inning, and you go on the field, and, and you hear the crowd roaring, you're like high-fiving fans, and all of a sudden, they're like, sausage, on your mark, get set, go, and like, you just, you run as fast as you can. Now, I was not in quite the physical shape that I was in, that I'm in now, right? I wasn't running back then, I was, I was drinking, and you know, I'd, I'd, you know, just, I, I had picked up some bad habits over the years. And so, I mean, I, I lost just about every race that I ran in when I was a, when I was a sausage. Because, you know, uh, unlike with with some of these other mascot races, the the Brewer Sausage Race is, is a real race, yeah. and 
I was racing mostly against Milwaukee area high school students who had just gotten done with gym practice or gym class, soccer practice, track practice, you name it. So, and, and they were just whooping me, Nathan. Like they, <laughs> they'd come out of the gate and like they'd be at home plate and I'm like struggling to get to third base. So, um, but you know, I got to do a lot of cool stuff too. I, I ran sausage races against uh, Donald Driver from the Packers and Mark Grace, uh, who used to be with the Cubs. I got to uh, make a, an appearance as a sausage at a Bon Jovi concert at, at Miller Park. And so, you know, naturally, I, I, I over, over the past, you know, 10, 15 years, I've answered more questions about that line on my resume than my master's degree, my TV news career, literally anything else I've <laughs> Including this particular interview. <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, it, it's a trip too because you you'd go out in the community and you'd sign autographs as a sausage, you know. So yeah. I mean, who knows? There could be some, you know, twenty one, twenty four year old kid right now who has my autograph as the Italian sausage or something like that <laughs> stashed somewhere in his parents' closet. I mean, it's worth you know, like next to nothing. But it, that that fact still amuses me. There was also a time when we were making an appearance at a car dealership. Never forget this. I, I was dancing around like an idiot on one of those oil change crates. And it gave way. And fortunately enough, the costume was wide enough to where I actually got stuck oh in the gosh. oil change grate. Didn't hurt myself. I'm sitting there stuck in the oil change grate like like an idiot. Everybody at this car dealership is just laughing at me. And, and it's the funniest dang thing, too. But, yeah, it's it's been it's been a trip. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, I want to talk for a minute about your experience interviewing people because one of the things that I've really enjoyed about getting to host this podcast is that you learn everyone has a story like literally every person has something to add something to tell that will help people someone out there and so that has just been really cool for me to to learn and so I'm sure that you have learned so much from people and you've heard some really interesting stories. So um, yeah. while we can't go into extreme depth about all of your interviewing experience, uh, can you share with us some of the things that really stuck out to you of, of stories that you heard from people or things that people told you that maybe you even apply to this day? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of the best interviews I've done have, have been with ordinary people. Um, you know, I, I've... I, the last dance was just on. I've, I've interviewed two of the principals. I've, been, I've interviewed Scotty Pippen and, and Dennis Robin in one-on-one situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, being a, a former sports writer for, for freelance for ESPN and, and Red Eye and the Tribune, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of the Cubs. I, I could name drop for days, but yeah, I, th- I think the, the one thing I learned in, in doing all these interviews is that 90% of the time the interview it's generally not going to go in the direction that you expected. And, and those tend to be the best interviews. You know, when you're interviewing somebody who's, who's famous, you tend to get the same stock answers because these guys are, are doing interviews on a, a daily, weekly basis. Mm-hmm. The, I, I think one of the better interviews I, I've done actually um, was, was the, the, the Dennis Rodman thing. So the backstory to that, Dennis Rodman was doing a, uh, an appearance at, this old bar called Arrow on Ogden near the United Center. It was a living social event where if you paid like 65 bucks, you got the bragging rights of watching a Bulls game in the same bar as Dennis Rodman. And so, yeah, I did my interview with Rodman. He was about as colorful as you would expect. You know, this is before all the North Korea stuff happened. 
uh, you know, first question I asked him was, you know, hey, Dennis, what are you doing these days? He's like, man, I ain't doing, and, you know, half the rest I couldn't, I couldn't print in the newspaper <laughs> that I was writing for at the time. Yeah. And so, you know, I thought that was going to be it, but I decided to stick around and, and see who pays 65 bucks to watch a uh, Bulls game in the same bar as Dennis Rodman. Cause that, I just, I, yeah, I, I grew up a big fan of the Bulls in the 90s. That is not the kind of thing I would spend money on. And so at halftime, Rodman was approached by this guy, um, and, he, and he had Rodman sign his arm, right? This big tattoo guy had Rodman sign his arm. He's like, you know, I, I got to get that guy's story. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, man, what, what, what's your deal? And, you know, it, it turns out this guy had, bought, had grown up watching Dennis Rodman play basketball. He'd driven up from the day from Norman, Oklahoma, specifically for this event and to get Dennis Rodman to sign his arm. And he was going to drive home the next day was with a bag covering his arm, driving home from Chicago to Norman, Oklahoma to have it tattooed on his arm wow. because he had grown up watching Dennis Rodman play basketball with his dad. His father passed away years ago. And so he was doing this as a tribute to his dad. And wow. yeah, it, it, yeah, it, and it turned into a, like one of the better stories I've done. And, and it was one of those things that had happened because I just, I kept an open mind heading into this story, you know, that, any idiot can write a story about Dennis Rodman. It's it's about paying attention to the little things and seeing where the story is going to take you rather than trying to take the story in the direction that you want to take it in. Mm. Well, that's that's really interesting. That's, yeah. You know, it's, it is those unexpected things that can teach you so much, and that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure interviewing Dennis Rodman in and of itself is always an experience, but to have that on yeah, top you know, of it's, it... it it, it's a trip, and you know, the the way to get these these famous people to to almost disarm them is just to, you know, ask them about something other than their jobs, right? Because you and I both, you, you know, that you, you don't want to talk about your job when you're not doing your job. And heck, half the time when I'm doing my job, I don't want to talk about my job, right? So, like I, I, another example, I I had an interview with Jake Arrieta before he won the Cy Young. Uh, this was in 2014. This was before he became like you know Jake Arrieta, and. Yeah, so I asked him a question, too, about pitching in the Cubs dugout. And then I started asking about his favorite restaurants and riding his bike. And that's when he really started to open up. You know, so I'm talking to these celebrities about, you know, who they are as human beings. That that tends to, to make for a better story than just being like, so that 3-2 three, that three curveball that you hung, why'd you do that, right? Mm -hmm. So at, obviously at some point, your journalism kind of starts to take a backseat and you're, you're moving into something mm -hmm. else. So what kind of spurred mm -hmm. that decision to move on from, from doing the more journalistic type things to, to what you did next? Yeah, I, I got out of media because I wanted to make money. That's, that, that's the long and short of it. I wish I could say that there was this noble thing about how I, I really wanted to, to be a marketer since college and just put that on the back burner. But, um, you know, the reality is, and it's unfortunate, media is not a stable career. It, it, it doesn't pay particularly well unless you get to be like a cable talk show host or a, a main anchor at one of the networks here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, at my peak in local television, I, I always tell people this. I was uh, a reporter photographer at, at NBC in the, in the Quad Cities, and I was making $25,000 a year, right? I was working nights, weekends, and holidays, and I'm making $25,000 a year. And... You know, when I was freelancing, I, I, I always had a full-time job on the side, too, because uh, you know, when you're a freelance journalist, you know, you, 
you eat what you uh, what, what you hunt essentially, right? And so if, if editors aren't buying your story ideas, you're not able to put food on the table, and that's a problem. So, um, you know, I, I chose to pursue content marketing uh, after working at a an internet retail magazine um, because. It, it, it is to me like a form of journalism. Like I'm, I'm still able to, to interview my coworkers and some of our clients for case studies and for, for blog posts, but it's, it's a, a much more controlled format. Like in, in this case, we generally do have a pretty good idea of the direction we want to go in. We just need, it, it's more shaping the narrative rather than letting the narrative shape the story. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and a lot of skills I learned as a journalist to um, apply, you know, you, as a journalist, you have to be good on deadline, right? Because if you miss uh, a, a script for the five o'clock news, you better have a, a great reason as to why you missed it. Otherwise, uh, you know you, you're out on your on your tail. So, um, you know, when I was in television, I was uh, I was the weekend reporter at, at both stations I worked at at CBS in Rockford and NBC in the Quad Cities, and uh, I had to shoot my own video, edit my own video, write my own scripts, uh, and then front my own uh, stories. Right, and, and all that while covering a two-state area, so Illinois and Wisconsin in Rockford, and then Iowa and Illinois in the Quad Cities. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're going out, you're shooting you know three to three to five stories at a time. You have one main story that's about that minute and a half long package, and then uh, three or four smaller stories that fill out the newscast. You, you just you don't have time to you don't have time to waste. And so you you learn to get to the point and get to the point quickly. And I, I feel like that has helped me tremendously in marketing because. No matter what my boss or my colleagues or, or others in the business throw at me, I'm able to get it to them and get it to them very quickly and, and get it to them at a high quality so that you know, they're able to achieve the business objective that they, they want to use a particular piece of content for. It's interesting because um, you talk about content marketing and it's one of those things that like, 20 years ago, they'd be like, what the heck is that? <laughs> is that a real thing? Right. And now it's like, yeah. you know, people are content marketers, they're social media managers, you know, the yeah. quote unquote millennial lifestyle stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, there had to be some point where you're like, that thing does not exist. And I couldn't imagine myself doing that. And now here you are doing that and working for a company for Rakuten, who is very big into mm-hmm to these things. I know that they have Ebates, which is probably one of the most well-known products that they have. Uh, yeah. So what was it like for you to kind of step into that and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do now. <laughs> I, you, you said it perfectly like that. That was, that was my realization on day one. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. You know, cause I, I tried being a research analyst uh, immediately before this uh, at, a, at a firm called Mintel where I was writing these you know, 60 to 100 page research reports. And I realized very early on in my tenure there that that was not what I wanted to do forever or uh, for, for even very much longer after that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good fit for some people. It just wasn't for me. So, uh, you know, with the content marketing, though, um, so right now I'm in charge of uh, running our social media for North America. I'm the main blog writer for, uh, for, our, for North America. I also manage our case studies as well. So working with our clients to, to develop a story around the results they got, you know, what they were doing before, what they, how they utilized us and what the end results were. And it's, it's such a fascinating process to me to, to see how this stuff evolves and really learn about the, the, 
amount of approvals that you have to get to get a single piece of content out the door. Like when I was in the media, you know, I'd, I'd write a story, my editor would write, would read it, uh, edit it, send it back to me for feedback. Um, then another editor might read it and then it would go live. But the, that, that whole process would take, you know, hours. Mm-hmm. You know, with, in marketing, things take days, right? It's, it's, it's a much slower process. And as a journalist or as a longtime member of the media, I, I've had to teach myself patience and that not everybody is going to work at the speed that I'm used to. Uh, you know, my boss has told me on several occasions, you know, like, Hey, it's, it's okay to slow down and, and just, you know, be okay with the fact that that blog post is not going to run the day that you, that you write it. Yeah. So when you're transitioning careers, like I did, there are some habits that you are going to have to unlearn, but if you are going to trans transition from one career into another, as I've, I've done on several occasions, you have to look at what you were doing before, see how that applies to other roles, the tailor your resume and, and your talking points in, in interviews to explain how, how your experience will help a business grow. And how do you sort of bring your community in around that? Because, you know, one of the other things is that that's a lot and it's a lot of really yeah, important stuff, yeah. but I'm sure it's one of those things you don't do on your own and not just your community of people that you've worked with or worked for, but mm-hmm. even talking about family or friends or like your mm-hmm. regular life, how, do, how does that all kind of work with either transitioning into a new field or doing something that you didn't think you would be doing for work? Yeah. Um, boy, that's a, a great question. You know, at, at the end of the day, I hope you, you you are surrounding yourself with with people who are, are rooting for you and and who will tell you that if they they think you pursuing a, a career path is, is a bad idea, right? Um, in my case, I I took a, about a, a month after I left Mintel to um, try to figure out what my next step was going to be. You know, I, I had an idea that I wanted to go into marketing. I knew I didn't want to be a research analyst anymore. Um, I wasn't particularly good at it, if we're being completely honest. But, yeah, you know, so I, I, I spoke to others who, who worked in marketing. I spoke to others who worked in, in sales and other fields. And, and you know, I thought to myself, okay, I, I wouldn't be happy doing what, what this person's doing. I wouldn't be good at doing what this person's doing. But, you know, I think I should be focusing my efforts on uh, on content marketing or, or digital marketing or like, you know, these types of jobs. Cause I, I feel like that's where my strong suit is. Right. So you have to be willing to have those, those conversations and people are, are, are more often than not willing to, to, to talk to you about their careers and you know, how they got to where they are. Um, you know, it, because everybody likes talking about themselves. Right. And if somebody's not happy in a job, um, you know, they'll, they'll tell you like, you know, Hey, I, I like my job because of this, or I hate my job because of this. So you know, it's all about tapping into your network and, and, and talking to your friends and family about you know, what they think you'd be good at, too. And now it doesn't have to be like this, this long-winded conversation like, you know, hey, tell me about me, right? It's like, you know, hey, I, I'm kind of burned out on what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you think might be a better fit for me personality-wise? Like, you know me. So wh- what kind of jobs do you think I should be applying to, right? And you don't have to do this with everybody. You know, just do this with the with people you trust. And then, you know, once you've made the transition, it, it, it should should be fairly easy to get their support with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have friends, and, and you know, Sarah asked me to some degree too, my fiance, about 
you know, why don't go back to the media? You know, she hears all my stories about being in the media. Like, yeah, look, that was a, that was a phase of my life. Like I, you know, content marketing is, it's, it's a new challenge. It's something I haven't done before and I'm enjoying it because it is something different and there is better longer term growth potential here. So I'm interested to hear about what you've learned about people in your job, because I mean, with marketing, one of those things is you're all, you've always got your, your sort of ear to the ground as far as trends and what people are are interested in now or sort of what the future holds for people. And so what have you learned about people in your role and sort of what are those trends that you see or, you know, trends that may have surprised us? Yeah. You know, from a people perspective, you really have to adjust your communication style to uh, adjust the different personalities. Um, I, I tend to, as you know, to be a very blunt person. Uh, I, I don't, hold anything back nor do i tend to sugarcoat how i feel about something whether it's a piece of work or somebody's personality and that works for some people that does not work for others and and so you especially in the workplace you really have to work on being emotionally intelligent and adjusting your style so that you're able to be an effective team member um you know, when, when it comes to people, I, I think it, asking questions in, in the workplace about what people do and, and how you can help them uh, goes a long way. I, you know, early on in my time at, at Rackton Advertising, I reached out across the business to several of our account managers and uh, sales reps about possibly doing some guest blogging. And that's because, um, you know, while I am the main blog writer for North America at Rackton Advertising, I do not know everything that there is to know about affiliate marketing and display advertising and search marketing, which are all services that we offer as a, as a tech company. And so, you know, I tapped into their expertise and it helped me to build stronger relationships too, because I was able to explain the value of the blog and the case studies that we were working on with them and, and how it helps their career. You know, everybody wants to be recognized for doing a good job. And so for, for me, the, the value of the blog and, and some of these other initiatives that I've done has really been in, in communi- communicating with my colleagues like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this to help you elevate yourself. You know, I want to empower you to not only raise your profile within Rackton Advertising, but also to uh, raise your profile in the industry, right? So to set you up for your next raise or, God forbid, your next job with another company. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. It's just really interesting to hear about uh, about this because, you know, it's like years ago, you know, this information may not have been available. And now we can actually mm-hmm. learn these things and track these things and kind of learn a lot of different things about people than we were able to before. Like maybe we could tell, okay, people like to shop at this particular time or they like to you know buy these particular foods during this particular seasons but i mean i think you guys are seeing trends that that are that are just beyond anything what we that we could have known before and and then probably predicting some of those as well yeah you know and and so it's going to sound strange coming from somebody who has has worked in and around e-commerce since 2014 Stores are never going to die. People, you know, once life gets back to normal, people will go to stores, but stores are going to evolve. I think what you're going to see is more transparency 
online into what's available in stores. Now, you know, so some some retailers like Lowe's and Home Depot, especially in the hardware sector, do a great job of telling you just how many widgets they have in stock, which aisle they're at, and, mm-hmm. and at which store. Right, you're you're starting to see. I think it was Target today reported on their their earnings call that like online order pickup in store was up by like 275% year over year in, in Q1. And, and that's because, you know, the number one reason why somebody doesn't buy something online is because they want to go, they want to see it and touch it in store. Right. And I, I think everybody thought that, you know, just like video killed the radio star to use a real obscure reference. Um, <laughs> I, I Everybody thought that online was going to kill stores, right? When Walmart bought Jet.com for what was it, $3.3 billion back in 2016, everybody thought that was that was Walmart taking on Amazon and you know putting their, their might behind it. Well, guess what? Walmart just actually killed off Jet.com. Jet.com was an online marketplace that appealed to you know, people like us who, who are younger and more upwardly mobile and mm-hmm. because people still like going to stores. You know, Walmart stores four years after that acquisition are still their bread and butter. So the pandemic has forced people to change a lot of their habits, right? And online sales are growing at a time when obviously retail store sales are, are slowing down in part because a lot of, a lot of retail categories are closed. So there is that convenience factor, but at the end of the day, there's, there's no substitute for, for seeing something in person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and there, there were other, other people were talking about how, how voice, commerce was going to be the next big thing right like by by 2020 i remember hearing two years ago that voice commerce was going to start creeping up on on e-commerce well guess what people don't like buying things they can't even see let alone things they can't touch and feel right with with voice you're 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 limited to the products that you're buying all the time anyways and in, in reality you know even when you're buying paper towels or some of these other more basic products you don't necessarily want to stick with the same brand. Like, what if you want to find just a better deal? So, commerce is changing on a, a rapid basis. I think what you're going to see again is is that stronger marriage of of online and offline, in part because stores are going to have to adopt that technology if they're going to survive. You know, we've seen a number of high profile retail bankruptcies recently, including the likes of Pier One and J.C. Penney, um, and it's it's because I, I think some some of these retail chains were just they didn't adapt quickly enough to, to changing times, right? But it's it's not enough to to just have the online or the inventory visibility in your online site, mm-hmm. right? You know, you, you have to you have to have an app, or you don't necessarily have to have an app. But if you're going to have an app, you have to give people a reason to use it, right? You can't just you can't just half ass an app, right? Have an app for the sake of having it. If you're going to have it, you know, you got to offer shoppers rewards points for using it, or have like a a store map or something like that on the app, something that that keeps shoppers engaged. Because the, you know, even though we are spending more time online these days, or, I'm sorry, I mean, let's take a step back. We are spending more time online these days, and there's more competition than ever for our attention, right? And, and I do feel like, to, to some degree, brand loyalty is is going out the window. Like I'm looking at my my breakfast nook right now, and I see three different brands of skin cream on there, right? <laughs> So, yeah, and and it was really just whatever whatever grabbed my attention at, at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. So, the other thing that's big too in this day and age is is uh, reviews, right? People more people are increasingly turning to those unbiased product reviews to confirm or to to confirm whatever whatever they suspect about product. Right? Is, is it good? Is it bad? 
you know, they want to hear how other consumers have used it. And I think you're going to start seeing that creep into, into other industries, especially into like B2B businesses as well. Like that's why we've been so big on case studies because, you know, it's, it's one thing for me as the, the blogger for Rakuten, the content marketing manager for Rakuten Advertising to talk about how great Rakuten Advertising is, right? They're paying my rent. They're paying for my groceries. They're going to pay for my wedding reception. Well, not they, them specifically, but, you know, the money I make from them. <laughs> so, but it, it's quite another for us to go out in the field and be like, you know, look, this client who's a, a leading widget retailer came to us from one of our competitors and we wound up uh, increasing the return on investment on their affiliate spend by 300% or something like that. Right? Those, those customer testimonials are becoming more powerful than ever because people have more choices than ever before. Yeah, there's there's so much more at your fingertips than there ever has been, that's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Matt, this has been really, really interesting, and I really thank you for sharing those thoughts. Um, I do want to give you an opportunity to kind of give one last either word of advice or thought for people who are either, you know, graduating this year or they're going to look at starting their careers or, you know, young in their careers, sort of what would, you know, if, if today Matt could go back and talk to uh, college graduate graduating Matt, what would you say to yourself and what would you say to the class of 2020? Don't marry yourself to one career path, right? The job that you have right out of college is not going to be the job that you have 10 years from now or 15 years from now or 20 years from now, most likely. Be open to learning new skills and, and learning from from other people. You know, when I graduated from college back in, in 2004 for my bachelor's, Facebook was was in its infancy. It was only available to a, a certain number of, co- number of, um, number of colleges. Now I'm the North American social media manager for Rackton Advertising. Facebook is an integral part of, of how I bring visitors to our website and get our customers to ultimately convert. Uh, don't be afraid of talking to strangers because more often than not, you know, people are going to be willing to to help you, and you'd be surprised at at some of the people who are willing to give you a, a hand up. You know, some of the most successful people became successful because they were they were willing to ask questions they were willing to learn from others who had had blazed a trail before them and you know lastly if 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 you're mid-career right now and, and you just you hate getting up in the morning start exploring different industries like we we've all been there nathan like we've all had a bad boss or you know a, a job that just it, it either wasn't challenging or it it's it's too monotonous. It just it wasn't the right fit for us. You know, no time like the present to start. And I know it sounds cliche, but no time like the present to really just start seeing what's out there, uh, taking some of these online courses that allow you to develop other skills and working and building up your resume so that you are willing to take that. So you're able to take that next step into whatever it is that you feel will make you feel happier and more fulfilled at the end of the day. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know that this is kind of a crazy time in our world, but um, I think it's really important that we continue to learn and we continue to take these opportunities to hear from each other and and sort of know that we're doing well. So 
I, I really appreciate you giving us your time. Um, yeah. Yeah. We will be uh, continuing to record, and, and regardless of the circumstances, we'll be uh, continuing to release guests. So we encourage you to check back often. We are on iTunes and Spotify, as well as other platforms. But make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you prefer. And we look forward to sharing more stories with you. I want to thank Matt Lindner from Rakuten for joining us today. And uh, thank you for taking a listen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago, as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.